Welcome to Heavy Strategy, a podcast where the questions are probably more interesting than the answers. We, Jonah and I, talk about technology, in particular take a look at the strategic implications or what it is that a long-term view. And we take a debate format where we go backwards and forwards and take generally opposing views regardless of what our personal views might be. And the idea is, is to ask questions, challenge ideas, and have strong debate. The question is, what is a technology strategy? And I have been the victim of a lack of technology strategy for most of my career. I am probably not well placed to define what we're talking about today. So Jonah, what is it? What is a technology strategy from your point of view? Well, Greg, I'm going to start with what a technology strategy isn't to before I start jumping into what it is. What a lot of companies will do, what IT professionals will do, is say, my technology strategy is Palo Alto or Cisco. That's not a strategy. That's a vendor. That's the output of a strategy. Or more typical these days is something like at the center of our strategy is a relentless focus on developing a differentiated portfolio with the most innovative products and technology in our industry so we can help our customers compete and win in their respective markets via digital transformation. And you can write uh, a script that actually just generates those. I think so. You can yeah. do one of those bot generators. Um, <laughs> and that's not a strategy. It's... Uh, charitably that's a vision but that's yeah. very charitable yeah. uh actually it's more ai generated goop but okay <laughs> in my view you you develop a technology strategy by starting at the beginning which is the corporate strategy mm. and greg and i like to talk about this but at the end of the day your corporate strategy is almost always something like we like to make money by selling more stuff <laughs> at the end of the um, day it's every yeah. business right and, well, and it doesn't I, matter yeah. whether you're making vaccines or, you know, whether you're a McDonald's selling cheap food, it's the same thing as that you sell something. Yeah. And I, I, I you can get a bit more uh, granular than that. So, you know, I, mm -hmm. I sometimes like to break things down into, you know, new dollars, saved dollars, forced dollars. New dollars would be something like, oh, we sell more of the same stuff. Uh, but we sell it to different customers or we sell different stuffs, stuff. So the idea is we want to come up with an, uh, a rapidly changing, expanding portfolio of products that we sell. You could also have, you know, one of our key strategies is to reduce operational costs. So we sell everything more cheaply or increase mm. our margins, whichever it is. Forced dollars, by the way, has to do with regulatory requirements, which mm. apply in regulated industries. Uh, and then there's also sort of the micro <laughs> how we do that well, I, so think, might... I think there's one other type of dollar here as well and that's what happens when your competitive competition does something and you have to respond a lot of yeah. companies and fail I... to sort of say like i'm implementing computers because my competition does you know i would i would put that as a great observation because i hadn't considered it but it goes under force dollars in my head just forced by yeah. market forces yeah. not regulation um, you know, if you do a double click down and say, okay, what is, how are we going to do this? The answer can be grow organically. It can be buy other companies. It can be expanded into new geographies. These are all important components of the corporate strategy from a technology perspective, because as a technologist, you need to know that if the plan is to go buy a company every three months, you really don't want to sign off on any technology that requires rip and replace to integrate with someone else's technology. Um, so it's very important to know about that level what the corporate strategy is. And, and when you try and break that down to an IT strategy, I think this is where a lot of people fail. They sort of, uh, the people who are creating the IT strategy often fall into what I call the bike shed mentality, where they say like, oh, well, we've got to paint a vision, you know, 
and you get back to the waffle that you just read out and they call that the <laughs> IT strategy, right? And uh, uh, I, Yes. I always felt that the one of the biggest failures that many of my, you know, my employers or my, you know, the, the consultant consulting gigs I was engaged on would have been better off saying the job of IT is to run an accounting software, to run a line of business software, to uh, maximize profits by doing it efficiently, you know, rather a rather practical approach to a strategy statement because IT is not directly lined up. Like if you go to the accounting team, they don't sit there and say, yeah, our job is to enhance the strategic capability of the business to, you know, increase customer experience. And they say, our job is to run the accounting and produce a general ledger at the end of every month. I want to come back to that because I think it's a, an excellent point. But before we jump on that, the other thing I just want to highlight is you will find in 90% of organizations, IT doesn't align with the business strategy for the very simple reason that the business strategists have not painted a logical business strategy. Can't If you read shareholder brochures, they don't say something as simple as we plan to expand by buying companies and getting into these new markets or whatever it is, even if it's high level, I understand competitive concerns, but they just basically say the usual amount of gobbledygook. So even if you read the corporate brochure of your own company, you probably have a very limited way of understanding what the corporate strategy is. That said, if you're an IT person, unfortunately, you don't have the luxury of waiting until corporate management gets its you know act together because they won't. So you have to actually start with playing a little bit of a Ouija board game to channel mm. what you think the corporate strategy is. The good news is IT, if you're paying attention, is actually surprisingly good at this. And my favorite story, you know, I was leading a strategy exercise, walked into a room with 20 people. The leader had hired us to develop this strategy. I found out later that the consultants before us had failed miserably and they were a big name group. So there was a lot of pressure, but I didn't know it. And the leader said, you know, okay, let's get started. And I said, stop. You know, what are the corporate, you know, the key business goals of the corporate strategy? And he looked at me, rolled his eyes, walked over to the whiteboard and listed five things. Mm. We all looked at them and went, yeah, that works. Mm. And it did. And that was that mm. was our, our definition of the corporate strategy. Mm. The problem is that the corporate folks don't understand that their strategy needs to be interpreted by IT. So they don't make it interpretable by humans. Yeah. And, and often the corporate stuff gets caught up in, well, I'd call it incompetence, but other people would say, you know, you've got to message this to lots of different people and it needs to be visionary and it needs to pass muster with shareholders or investors or owners. And, and you know, the owner may or may not be an expert in whatever the company does. Like quite often shareholders have no idea what their investment does. They just chose it on some basis. So for example, like an index linked fund is not buying a technology, you know, not buying a, a stock in a company because they know anything about what the company does. Yeah. Basically they're buying a stock in a company because the index ma fund manager, you know, mm. went to a meeting with the company senior executives and went, I kind of like these guys. <laughs> I mean, it's unfortunate, but it's true. We've all seen it. Yeah. So, you know, step one in building a technology strategy is to obtain or intuit or channel the corporate strategy in ways that make sense from a technology perspective. Mm. You know, are you buying new companies? Are you growing organically? Are you beginning to offer new products? All of these have impact because, you know, new products may require new infrastructure, technology infrastructure. I already talked about what it takes to acquire companies, et cetera, et cetera. Now you know what the corporate strategy is where you've got a good first 
order approximation. Start with defining technology principles, which are vendor agnostic expressions of the desire state. So vendor agnostic. Yeah. Things like uh, cloud first, if that is your strategy. I'm not recommending it. I'm just saying cloud first is a strategy. Everything on Amazon is not a strategy uh, and so forth. So you're sort of uh, heading towards the idea that a technology strategy is something that A, supports the business needs, focuses on efficiency. I think most people fail to understand that technology is an amplifier. It's a productivity enhancer. So if you're a company like of lawyers, you can improve productivity by having computers, by word processing instead of dictating and sending you know, the dictation to a typing pool and then coming back for review. It's much more efficient to use word processors and then pass documents around and use email or whatever form you want to do to submit them to the courts, right? I wasn't going there, but I think it's brilliant. Actually, mm. if when you're sitting in that room trying to build your technology strategy, you ask yourselves, if I believe, as Greg says, mm. that technology is an amplifier or a force multiplier, where can we deploy it to make the key pieces of our corporate strategy more successful at what they do? Yeah. Um, so I, I think holding that vision in your head is a very, very good first step. I think that's important because people underestimate the power for as horrible as you know, tools like Microsoft Office and email are, they are so much more efficient than telephone calls and fax machines. Absolutely. Oh, <laughs> uh, my gosh. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Now, we used to fill out handwritten forms that we might have, and the forms used to come from printers, and then we would fax them to people. That was how you, you know, and you sent them down to the warehouse, and the warehouse would pick it. We don't do those anymore. Uh, but there used to be a thing called a picking slip, which was a form that was filled out by you know, the salesman. And that would be sent down, you know, sent down to the warehouse who would then pick the goods, put them on a truck, and then the picking slip would come up and be given to an accounting team who would then enter it into a paper ledger. This is in my um, lifetime. I, would you know? I was going to say, Greg, you're old, but actually you aren't that old, which all yeah. of this is scary because I, I was actually signing a contract the other day, hmm. you know, the usual sort of way um, with DocuSign. And I remember the days when you had to fax things back and forth and you had to print them out. We were actually assessing our own internal, you know, corporate IT, which is small because we're not a big company. And the question was, are printers even relevant anymore? And sadly, they are, but only for people who are held back, technologically speaking. So, you know, so occasionally you need to have hard copy of things or or be able to scan. Things. Yeah, I had to buy one this week. Don't get me started. I I, th <laughs> I think one of the things that I always notice with technology is it's always re it's always a process re it's replacement. Yes. A website is a replacement of the front of the front of house. So you used to have a reception, so you'd have an office. And if you build a website, it's the front door to your company. It's not a change in the way that think that there's very little, if anything, technology has ever done that actually replaces something. At the end of the day, the idea of typing up a document, signing it and sending it to somebody has been around since trade started in the in the in you know 2000 BC when it was mud tablets. Creating an invoice and sending it electronic is still fundamentally the same thing. I see technology as a process replacement. So it replaces a process with the same process, just with a more efficient technology. And some people call that. Well, I would say it replaces it with a different process because, mm. you know, the, the process of signing an online document is not the process of faxing. It is not the process of putting stuff in a you know, your stylus and your tablet. By the way, sideshow note, it still makes me laugh. The ancient Sumerians were one of the very earliest folks mm -hmm. that did this. And 
one of the earliest forms of writing was a clerk's uh, pick list, I guess, sort of shipping uh, <laughs> shipping list. One of the notes he jotted in the side was, God, this is tedious. I need a drink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. Or, that's actually the article I was actually thinking about. Actually, when Oh, my God. I can't believe we both read the same article. I but think, yes, yeah. I... I always thought that was deeply that was significant because it said, oh, no, I read this like 20, 25 years ago. But it, it says that mm. that there's a deep correlation between writing and drinking, which <laughs> many writers would say. So, you know, Ernest Hemingway, you had solid roots in, in the ancient Sumerians. Coming back to the whole notion of the strategy, you once you've sort of outlined your high level vendor agnostic capabilities, we want to go cloud first. We want... Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, everything virtual, whatever it is, it can be automate, uh, it can be automation, it can be cloud first, it can be virtualization. These are all good technology principles. Then you get the fun part, which is you hook them together in an architecture and look at where the problems might be like, oh, gee, right now we have, you know, legacy technology A doing this function, but we need to boot it and replace it with a brand new thing or whatever mm. it is. As you start building so that I, picture, I would, I, I want to come back to you said something like you know cloud is a, is a technology strategy. I disagree. I didn't say it was a technology strategy mm. at all. Very okay. very important. The process of building the technology strategy mm. means that you are that you ha define a set of technology principles that are part of your strategy, but you're not done yet. They are mm. vendor agnostic ideas. So cloud first is a vendor agnostic idea. It's not a strategy. It's the first step towards building your strategy. We want to make sure that your notion is, if it's cloud, your architecture has to include cloud in it. Hello. Yeah. If it, then you have to start talking about, as part of our strategy, we will be making a selection. We're making decision. Decision points might be, do we want SaaS? Do we want IaaS? Do we want PaaS? Is, is hosted an option for cloud? Is it private cloud? Is it public cloud? That's the next decision step after you've said cloud is your principle. And then the decision step after that is which vendor, yeah, which brings I, me. Okay, so I, I would challenge that. I think that there's two, there's actually multiple strategies, statements that you have to make. There's a broad stroke technology strategy, which you, which is universal to any company. I, I am going to bring information technology that will improve productivity, enable new processes or replace existing processes with better processes. We are going to support sales tracking. We are going to improve product flow, simplify accounting, improve warehousing, et cetera, et cetera, right? Pick more accurately, that sort of stuff. And those are the broad strokes. And then I've always thought about the work that I did as a functional strategy. And that is I'm working on this set of technologies and in that technology, I now need to decide. So cloud is almost a trivial decision to my mind. Uh uh, no, I disagree with you. I yeah. agree that both pieces are needed, but here's how you use the technology principles. Basically, the, the short vision of a technology strategy is it results from the corporate strategy and it delivers strategic outputs, which are, you know, optimization, product sele selection, process optimization, all the things that you talked about that are the value, you know, the force multiplier, the amplifier functions. And in order to do that, Cloud, whether it's cloud or anything else, it's just a good example. You can say automation or virtualization serves the purpose of being a selection criterion between the next step down technologies and the next step below that, which is, okay, if we've decided that automation is a key technology principle, we will select products that are more automated rather than less automated, no yeah. matter how much we love the less automated 
products. And that's really important because what it does is it takes the opinionizing and the starting at the wrong end of the spectrum out of the process. Instead of saying, I like vendor X, so we should buy them. The mm. question is, well, to what degree does vendor X, does vendor X's solution align with the principles we just defined, yes. which... A reminder, those principles have to be tied back to the corporate strategy. We have to have already thought through that cloud or automation or whatever you want mm. actually helps you deliver on the goal of make money. Mm -hmm. So now that you've said, okay, but we've all agreed that automation is important because it helps us do this thing better. Now we can legitimately use it as a selection criterion. And then the person who's absolutely in love with vendor X that is totally yeah. manual and not automated loses. So that's why I push so hard on the technology principles, because essentially the output of a technology principle is a set of selection criteria. And it allows you to sort of say, well, this isn't an arbitrary set that I've thrown in here so I get my product. This is a set that aligns all the way back and has an unbroken chain back to the corporate strategy. We picked automation because we picked automation as a selection criterion because automation is one of our technology principles because we believe that automation enables the corporate strategy. If any of these assumptions are wrong, we're happy to change. But if they're right, mm. we need to use this as a selection criterion. I think I get you. I guess I would have a slightly different, we recognize that technology is about force multiplication, improving sales, enabling processes, improving warehousing. But maybe in your technology strategy, then what you add is we believe in automation and orchestration first. And that says now whether you do it on-prem or off-prem cloud or whatever, you're saying we want automation and orchestration to be a part of our buying decisions and another exactly. one in, in your technology yeah. strategy might be owned or rented do we want right. to own exactly. assets or rent them and, and that comes out as a strategy right some companies are capex rich they only want to do capex they don't want to SaaS. they don't want to rent something they want to buy it and deploy it because that's the way their funding looks uh, i mean case in point would be utilities uh, at least mm. in the united states utilities are regulated uh, and they are, you know, the, the difference between capital expense and operational expense is actually a very big deal to them. Mm -hmm. They can they can get away with subtracting their their capital expense from their, you know, from their profit, but they're not allowed to make more than a certain amount of profit and operational mm -hmm. expense kind of, you know, because There's obviously of... executive salaries go into operational expense. Mm -hmm. So yes. they are forced to do an awful lot of CapEx, even if it's antithetical to what they're trying to accomplish. Yes, there's certain markets for they uh, their share price or their business value is determined by recurring expenses per headcount, but capital expenditure does not come into it. And so they uh, lean into the capital model because the capital model comes from a different, it's not funded out of internal sales. It doesn't come from a budget, if you like. Yeah, government departments say, you know, how much work are you getting done with how much headcount? How, you know, how much does your headcount cost? And you've got to reduce the headcount, you know, all that sort of stuff. Different market, but they get budgets and, and then they get allocations. Budgets is recurring and then allocations is capital. Government unlikely to adopt SAS rapidly because of that changing that funding is going to be quite challenging for them. Actually, yeah, which is another big piece, which is, you know, your technology principles might be aligned with corporate funding models or they, you know, might be change corporate funding models because they're obsolete. <laughs> mm -hmm. then, then then, for me, that leads into a functional strategy, which is we believe yes. in our business wants to seek OPEX spending, therefore cloud models, you know, renting assets. Right. Even It doesn't even drive the on-prem or off-prem anymore because you can go and rent equipment to be on-prem as much as you can rent cloud, right? Then that exactly. but your, your functional strategy might be driven by the OPEX idea. Whether you want to run a data center might be defined by 
do you want to get you know allocate space in a colo and then run it yourself is that cost effective for you or would you be better moving to an off-premise cloud where you can adopt new services and what a lot of companies are finding is they actually don't want to adopt new services they don't want to <laughs> yeah. be in the cloud they think they want to be in the cloud because your resume looks good if you've got cloud skills but you're not actually doing anything new you're still running the same accounting system the same sales system the same line of business application the same warehousing application etc cetera, et cetera. well yeah and that's a i know we could go out down that rat hole so i, I won't I'll, mm. I'll resist the bait this time but you can bait me next time um that said i like the the notion and i just want to circle back on something you said the mm. notion of a functional strategy because I always envision when I think about a strategy from a technology perspective, on the mm. left-hand side is the corporate strategy, and the middle is the you know technology strategy in increasing levels of functionality or, yeah. or granularity. And at the output on the far right is product selection. So you know you the output of your technology strategy should be selection criteria. You then go and execute on the strategy by using those selection criteria to, to select a product. The reason this is important is because, first of all, it'll, it eliminates the cart before the horse syndrome, where you go to a vendor, you like what they do, and you're essentially absorbing the strategy from the vendor, uh, which may not align at all with what your business needs. It sounds good to you, so you just go and do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, it I also, think... at a human level, it allows you to define a nice interface between architects and engineers, because the architects can say, here are our selection criteria, here's the matrix, engineers go do your proof of concept and see how everybody stacks up i, I like that I, that makes sense to me but at the same time you also have to recognize that the technology ex has it dictates your solution to some extent you have to realize that even though we talked about something that tapers down and so and the consultants would always say oh and the final product decision just works itself out that's not true because if you buy brand of server x put operating system y and application, and the application is the big one. Let's come back to Microsoft Office. The very fact that you use Microsoft Office drives your business process because you have to make everything fit into an Excel spreadsheet or a Microsoft Word doc or an Exchange client. If you wanted to build a process that was genuinely unique and whatever, you would have to hire a team of developers and bring them in. I think I see this mostly with accounting systems. If you've ever been involved with deploying an accounting system. I, and, I try to avoid that, but go on. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, this is how the accounting system implements purchasing, oh, but we don't want to do it that way. That's how the accounting system that you've purchased does it. You don't get to choose. You know, like when it posts to the general ledger, you have to post to this account so that you can cross post. And they get, you go like, well, why can't I just, and they say, oh, that's just how it works. You have to fit in. So there's, it's a bit like Salesforce, right? Salesforce has effectively defined these days how you manage a sales team. And this is, this is almost another show, but I'll touch on it. The weird thing about Salesforce is now every sales team works the same and operates the same because the tool defines how sales operates. And all the sales teams are actually becoming undifferentiated because they're all the same. It's called the paradox of skill, if you've, if you've never heard of it. Yes, I'm being quiet because that thought had sort of bubbled around in the back of my head when I got yet another mm -hmm. cold call outreach trying to sell me something. And I remember thinking... God, you'd think people would have figured out by now that this is not the yes. right approach, but it is a Salesforce specific approach. 
Uh, and I know exactly how it is. And you've made an excellent point on that. And I would argue mm. that SAP is the classic example from the last century, where SAP just sort of marched in and imposed its vision of yeah. business strategy on companies that bought the technology. And I will point out that SAP succeeded in doing that by selling its stuff to CFOs, not to IT people who looked at this thing with great horror. Um, so long story short, yeah, to the, your best of your ability as a technologist, you, you should seek to be vendor agnostic until the very end, recognizing the fact mm. that you're, you're kind of stuck anyway, because the vendor you pick is going to bring you into its ecosystem and try very, very hard to impose its strategy on you. Um, but that said, that makes the, the choice incredibly important, yeah. particularly it's when just it's a large that recognition that like the technology Salesforce. defines what's possible or the product that you buy. And if you want to take a more generic right. solution... If you bought a car that has two seats, like you've got a little tiny car and it's got two seats, you can only ever put two people in the car. But if you go and buy a minivan that's got yeah. 11 seats, you've got an 11-seat minivan. You can carry gear and stuff, right? The technology defines what you can do. You don't buy a two-seater if, if an 11-seater. But if you've made a decision to buy Vendor X and they don't have an 11-seater car or 11-seater minivan or whatever, then you're in trouble. And in technology, it's much more complicated, like... If you buy this storage array, it's got this performance, but when it's performance, it doesn't actually have capacity because the speed is traded off against capacity for various instantiations. Or if you have a network, and like as we move to the internet, people are finding that they have to keep upgrading their internet connection. And they're starting to say, well, I need more bandwidth and, and running into problems around that. So your ability to use SaaS is actually defined by your network. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, these are all factors that have to go into, you know, your selection criteria. And as you said, the main thing is it's a moving target because what is possible today wasn't possible yesterday. And, you know, something new might be possible tomorrow, which is kind of the last point I'd want to make about your technology strategy. You know, basic no. business 101, but it's not a once and done thing. If the value is if you do it the way that, that we recommend, you can go back and assess it. Assessing your strategy <laughs> doesn't mean pulling out your PowerPoint and going, does this look right? It means, has our corporate strategy changed or have we learned relevant things about it that should affect our technology mm -hmm. strategy? Yes, no. Okay, move on to the next. Do we want to rethink any of our principles? Um, you know, CapEx versus OpEx, automation, you know, whatever it is. No, okay, yes, no. Okay, which ones are they? Now, what is the downstream dependency on those principles? And so forth and so on. So you, you go back and revisiting this whole thing is something you can do quarterly or annually in a very structured format that doesn't devolve into, <laughs> you know, I really yeah. hate cloud or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Not that that's what you say, Greg, but, you know, that's the that can be the level of debate yeah, sometimes. I, I do feel, uh, and I think what you're alluding to there is a lot of times they start with, this is the technology I'm going to use. Now, what was the question? That might be a viable strategy too. To some extent, everybody's got x86 computers and everybody's running, you know, Linux on the servers. And, you know, that defines the applications that you're going to use. Well, that was much, you're not exactly going to go out and buy an AS400 in 2022. In fact, I don't really want to talk about this too much because it, it distracts from the main point. But one of the best things to do when you're you know, if you want to do pre-prep for your technology strategy is have those emerging technology conversations with vendors, with folks like us, with, you know, and sorry for the sales plug, but any insight that you can get that says, tell me more about the nature of what is possible and focus heavily on what is possible today that wasn't possible last year and what is possible next year, what is likely to be possible next year that wasn't possible this year. 
So you have a sense of where things are going before you sit down and do this very structured mm. rear rear window yeah. looking. I think the things that I would like to, as we wrap this up, there's a business strategy, there's a technology strategy, and they're broad and sort of visionary and waffly. <laughs> but then there's also a functional strategy, which is your functional technology strategy, which is I, you know, it, which is my vendor choice is this, my partnerships are this. But that's way after you recognize that my job is to increase sales or increase profitability by enabling processes or using technology. But at the same time, the one thing that I think most people fail to recognize is everybody else is using the same technology. There's not that much of an edge. If you're looking for an edge, and this this is a whole another discussion, but if you're one of the companies that's always looking for an edge, your technology strategy mm. should be heavily skewed towards emerging technology and you should be very skeptical of, you know, the SAPs and the Microsoft offices and the and the mm. sales forces for all the reasons you said earlier, Greg. In fact, you should have as part of your strategy not to do it if it's what everybody else is doing, unless you absolutely must. You know, like the whole idea of a co-location facility is that everybody needs the same power and the same ranks. There's a gap there between standardization and everybody doing the same thing. Chances are 90% of companies are catching up to their competitors. And that's what you're doing. You're not really changing the world here. You're just catching up. There's always one company that'll spend more on technology that are doing digital transformation, big inverted commas. But most likely your employer's going like, all right, we just have to get another set of technology. Kind of wish we didn't. <laughs> I know that's a bit grim, but that's actually a reality in my view. Gets into possibly a topic for a future conversation, which is what I call the mm. IT culture or the corporate view towards technology, because we see that as a sure. spectrum. But well, that can that be a note, later. Conversation. I think we should wrap it up today. If you've got any feedback that you want to let us know, head on over to packetpushes.net/fu, and you can send us your follow-up. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you don't think. If you've got a topic that you'd like us to cover, uh, that's the place to go. Hit that form. We don't need your personal details. Uh, but if you want us to get back to you or respond to you, um, it's up to you to leave your information or not. It's private, anonymous, if that's what you want it to be. And thanks for joining me today. As always, you can find more content like this on the Packet Pushers Network on our website at packetpushers.net. And Jonah, on that note, thanks very much for listening to Heavy Strategy. Just remember the question is usually more interesting than the answer.